right. Well, hey, it's good to be with you guys here this weekend. And like uh, Colin just mentioned, if uh, if you're here in the room or whether you're joining us on live stream, we're just so thankful that you uh, have chose to connect with us here as we are in actually the second week of the series that we've been in that's called God Is. And so if you are a guest or if maybe you missed last week and you're just tuning into the whole thing, let me just say welcome to the conversation. I'm so glad that you're able to be here. And uh, to kind of fill you in on sort of what it is that we've been talking about, Basically, what we're talking about in a nutshell is we're thinking about and we're processing through the way that we, uh, the way that you understand and view God, the way that you perceive God. And I know that some of you uh, maybe grew up in the church and you're new in the whole God thing is a, is a common thing that you think about. You've, you've been uh, someone who has been interested in following God for a long time. Maybe you're someone who's not. Maybe you're someone who's new to the church thing or you're new to the whole, the whole conversation. But here, here's what we're saying in this series is the way that you view God is actually incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. In fact, it maybe is more important than you might initially think. Um, last week, we talked about this, and uh, we looked at this really famous quote by a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. Uh, he's a Christian author. He wrote the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and he famously said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so we talked about that last week, and we said, wow, that seems like a pretty big statement. We said, is that true? And so we started to think about it, and we said, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of truth to this statement. That what we think about God, that how we perceive and how we understand God is so crucial because it doesn't just impact the way that we view him, but it also impacts the way that we interpret events around us. It, it consequently impacts the way that we view ourselves and understand ourselves. It impacts the way that we view other people and in the relationships that we're in. And so we said, man, that, this seems like that there's a lot of truth to this statement that the most important thing about us is the way that we perceive God. And we said, if that's true, if, if there's at least some element of truth to what's being said here, we said there's a follow-up question, right? And the follow-up question is simply this. How do we know that we're getting the picture right how, how do we know that, that we're viewing God, that we're perceiving him, that our understanding of him is accurate? How do we know that we're getting that right? And so last week, that's what led us into what we said is maybe one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. And so last week, we actually started to look together at a passage of scripture that we're actually basing this entire sermon series out of. We're spending the next several weeks looking at this one. It's only two verses in this one passage. The passage that we started looking at is actually located in Exodus chapter 34. So I would like to invite you, if you, if you could, why don't you grab your Bible? Why don't you open that up with me and let's turn or let's return because we were here last week back to Exodus 34. Okay, so uh, get out your Bible, get out your Bible app or whatever you're using to do that. If you need to use one of our Bibles, you can feel more than free to do that. If you're in the room, the Bible's under the chairs, page 62 is where you're going to find Exodus. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, you can have one of those. Okay, just go ahead and take that home with you. We would love to make that a gift from us to you. So Exodus 34 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're finding that this chapter in the Bible, like I said, we're going to be looking at two verses throughout this whole series, just these two verses. And we said the reason that maybe these verses are the most important verses in the Bible, possibly one of the most important passages in the Bible, is because in this passage, you're going to see... God, the first time and the only time in the entire Bible, where God himself is going to say, this is who I am, and this is what I'm like. So this is the, the first and the only place in the Bible where God audibly speaks and says, this is my name, this is who I am, 
and this is what I'm like, where God basically gives us a revelation of who he is, the only place in the Bible. And here's what we said is interesting. We said this passage of the Bible is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. And so we said, if you've ever read through the Bible, you might notice that the Bible will oftentimes refer to itself. It will quote itself. The biblical authors will often quote each other. And we said this passage that we're about to read, these two verses are the, the most quoted and referenced passages in the Bible by the Bible. They're so important last week that I even said, I even challenged you. I said, I triple dog dare you to memorize them. I know I talked to some of you and, and some of you are doing that, which I think is awesome. But it's these, these two verses. So let's take a look at them together. It's Exodus 34 verses six and seven. So last week we actually did something that's very unconventional. We don't do this a lot, but I thought maybe we'd do it again. Last week I had you say these verses out loud with me. And so I thought, you know what, just to kind of get us all sort of in the same page, why don't we do that again? Since these verses are so important, um, maybe you can just say these out loud with me uh, again. So here we go. I'm going to lead us in this, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, to read these verses with me. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. All right, so there it is. Here they are. These are the two most, this is the, this passage, two verses, the, mo, the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. This is God, the first audible, the only audible place where he's disclosing this is who I am and what I'm like. And this is him saying basically his, the release statement of who he is. And last week we said this. We said, you know, I know when you read this passage, for some of you, you're familiar with it. You've heard it before. Some of you have never heard this before. And I think maybe for some of us, when we read it, it, it makes a bunch of questions swirl around in our mind, maybe even makes some concerns swirl around in our mind. And what we said is we said that this passage is so, it's so important to understanding who God is that we want to take this line by line and phrase by phrase. And so let me just tell you where we're going for the next five weeks. Okay, so for the next five weeks, we're going to break this thing apart. And so we're going to talk about the Lord, the Lord. The next week, we're going to talk about the compassionate and gracious God. And then we're going to talk about slow to anger, abounding in love, and yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so we're going to kind of break it down that way. And, uh, and here, again, here's why I think this is so important. I believe that this builds for us a really important foundation of how we view God. And I believe to take any one of these aspects in isolation to the others uh, runs the risk of misunderstanding God entirely, that you have to take the whole thing. You have to understand the whole thing, okay? So, so this week, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna dig into the first part. We're gonna dig into the first part, which is the Lord, the Lord, okay? So that's where we're gonna start. This is where God begins, when God discloses himself, when he explains, this is who I am and what I'm like, which, by the way, I just want to mention, if you missed last week's message, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to go back and listen to that, because what we did in that message is we actually talked about the context. We said, what was it that caused God to say this about himself? What circumstances were happening where God said, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell them Moses who I am and what I'm like? So last week we did that. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to check it out. But when God begins, here's where he starts. He starts by saying, the Lord, the Lord. And apparently, this is very important. This is very important for a couple reasons. So a lot of us can read right past this, just read right past this and not think twice about it. But I think that's a mistake because, first off, this is the first thing that God says about himself. So when God audibly says, this is who I am, where does he start? He starts here. 
It's the first thing he says, but then secondly, he repeats it. It's the only phrase that God says in this entire statement that is repeated. And so he says it twice. He says, the Lord, the Lord. Now, I'll tell you why that's important is because in Hebrew writing, so the Old Testament that we have of the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew writing, if you wanted to emphasize something, the way that you did that was through repetition. So that's a little bit different than today. Like in our time, if you want to emphasize something, like if you were drafting an email or if you were writing something and you really wanted to, to make sure that you got the point across or you were trying to emphasize, you might bold, you might you know, put it in bold, you might put it in all caps, you might underline it, you might enlarge it, right? So we have different literary techniques to emphasize things. Well, the Hebrew writers did too. And what they would do is they would use repetition. That's what they would do. So apparently this is pretty important because this is the only thing that God is gonna repeat. He's gonna say, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Now, what's the significance of this? All right, well, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but whenever you read through the Bible, you're gonna notice that God is actually called by a bunch of different names. Have you guys ever noticed this before? So God is called a bunch of different stuff. Like even if you just looked at the first two books of the Bible, just Genesis and Exodus, you would see, for example, that God is sometimes called the Lord. Sometimes he's called capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord. Sometimes he's called Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. It's interesting. Sometimes he's called God. Sometimes he's called Almighty God. Sometimes he's called Lord God. And there's these different phrases that are used about him. Now, that might be something that you never really thought twice about, right? Like we can just kind of read through the Bible and not think. And I think what happens for some of us is we think that these terms that are used from God are almost like different, different variations of the same name. Sometimes we can read it that way. Like, so for example, if you had a buddy named Robert, okay, just think about this. Some people might call him Robert. You're like, okay, yeah, that's true. Sometimes people might call him Bob. Sometimes they might call him Bobby. Sometimes they might call him Bert. His college buddies call him Big Bobby B. I don't know, you know, call him, call him whatever, you know, you wanna call him, Bippity Boppity Bob, whatever, right? He's got a name. And all of those are variations of the same name. And so sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we're like, well, I don't know. Sometimes he goes by the Lord. Sometimes he's God. Sometimes he's almighty God, right? And we'll just kind of throw those around. And here's what I want you to understand. That's actually a false understanding of those names. These are, not, these are not variations of the same name. They actually mean different things. And they're telling us something different about who God is. And so when, when the, in this passage, God starts not by saying God, God, but he starts by saying, Lord, Lord, that's actually really significant. And you're like, well, what do you mean? Can you explain that to me? Okay, I'm gonna try. Now, I, I need you guys to just hang with me for a minute because we have to dig in a little bit to what's behind some of these words. But I promise you, if you're willing to do the mental work with me, it's gonna go somewhere really good, all right? So, so here, here, we're gonna get into it. So if you go to the Bible, and you just go back to, let's just use this as an example. If you go back to the first chapter in the first book, in the first verse of the Bible, which you can turn there if you want to, you don't have to, but I'll just show you on the screen, you'll notice something. The Bible's gonna open this way. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the, the very, very first pages of scripture, the Bible's gonna open up and it's gonna introduce us to the reality that there is a God and that he is the creator of all things. Now, here's what's interesting. The word that's used here, you notice, is not the Lord. It doesn't say, in the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. No, it says, in the beginning, God. And you're like, well, okay, well, is that a big difference? Well, actually, it is a big difference. It is a big difference. Now, the word God that's used here is translated God 
But it's actually this Hebrew word right here. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's the word Elohim. Right, that's the Hebrew word. And no, you probably want to give it a shot. So why don't you turn to someone next to you and why don't you say Elohim? All right, speak Hebrew to them. Elohim is what it is. All right, so it's the name Elohim. And even though it's translated God, here's what I really want you to understand. This is not, this is not God's name. That's not what this is. God's name is not G-O-D. That is not, that is not what's going on here. What is Elohim? Well, Elohim, when you look at its usage in the Bible, it's actually this really, really, really loose and this broad, general, flexible word. So in a lot of ways, the word Elohim is used throughout Scripture almost like a category. It's almost used as like a category or like a class. So, so here's an example. This is a totally imperfect example. But let's say that I was up here and someone walked in the room and I just said, hey, look, a human being. If I said that, which would be so weird if I did that, right? Someone's coming in right now. Look, a human being, right? So there you go. And if I, if I did that, that tells you something. It tells you something. So someone walked in, but it doesn't tell you anything about that person's character. It doesn't tell you anything about, I guess you could put it this way, their personality. And so that's an imperfect example. But if you can get your mind around that, in some ways, when the Bible talks about this word Elohim, it talks about it in this generic and broad sense. In fact, this word is so generic. I, this blew my mind this week. This word is used in such a generic way in the Bible that sometimes this word is used in the singular. So here in Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, singular, God created. However, there's actually other passages where it's used in the plural. So this is, this is interesting. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 says this. This is God talking. This is, this is the Lord God Almighty talking. And he says, I'm going to bring judgment on all of the gods, lowercase g, Elohim, plural, of Egypt. I am the Lord, is what he says. So, so here's God, and he says, I am going to bring judgment on all of the Elohim, the plural. What's he talking about there? Well, this is a, a general, broad term that's used in the Bible to speak of of just, it's, it's a vague reference to the term God. That, that, that's what, what he's talking about here. So when you go to Genesis chapter one, and it says, in the beginning, God. Now, the Bible's going to say that God is the Elohim over Elohim. The Bible's going to say that he is the Lord God, the Lord Elohim, that he is the almighty Elohim. It's gonna say those things, but this is a broad category that the Bible is talking about here. And I think maybe this is a helpful way to think of it. The way that we use the word God today in our culture it's actually not all that dissimilar, is it? I mean, when we say the word God, it's such a broad range. It's such a, such a large category. Really what we mean when we say God, at least if you ask a lot of people, is they're just talking about a higher power. It's talking about a higher power. So if you ask someone, do you believe in God? There are literally billions and billions of people on earth who believe in God. But if you double click on what they mean, they might mean very, very different things, okay? So, so, but what, what the word God is not doing it's telling us something, but it's not getting specific. It's not telling us anything about his character. It's not telling us anything about his nature. It's not telling us anything about his, I don't know if this is the right word, but his personality. It's not telling us anything about those things. It's just telling us that there's a God. So here's what I want you to notice. So if you got that in your mind, go back to Exodus 34, and I want you to notice where God begins. So when he reveals himself, he does not begin by saying Elohim, Elohim. That's not where he starts. In other words, God doesn't say, the force, the force. It's 
not what he's saying, right? He's not saying the, all, the almighty creator of the universe, the almighty creator of the universe. It's actually not where he starts. Where does he start? He starts by saying, he starts by saying the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And some of you are like, okay, so what's the difference? All right, well, I think to understand what's behind this name, the name of the Lord, probably the best place to look is the first time that God explains it. And the first time that God reveals and explains this name is actually in Exodus chapter three. And so I wanna encourage you, flip back, flip back in your Bible just a few chapters, back to Exodus chapter three. And we're actually gonna see the first time that God reveals himself as the Lord and the first time that he explains himself as the Lord. All right, so Exodus chapter three is what we're gonna see. So here we go. We're gonna start off in verse one, Exodus three. It says, now Moses, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest in Midian, and he led the flock as far, uh, to, uh, to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. Okay, so let me just hit pause there for a minute and let me set up what's going on. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this story in the Bible, um, it actually is a pretty famous story. My guess is that you're probably at least vaguely familiar, even if you're not a Bible person, because this is such a famous story. But basically, there's this guy named Moses, and he's a very, very important person in the Bible. The Bible's gonna say he was a Jewish man, uh, yet he was raised in, in an Egyptian culture. So the Israelites, uh, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And the Bible says that one day, Moses saw one of his fellow Israelites, a fellow Jewish man, being beaten and being mistreated by an, Egyptian, uh, by an Egyptian slave owner. And so Moses retaliated and he actually killed this Egyptian man. So he murdered him. And after he murdered him, he was fearful for his life. So the Bible's gonna tell us that he fled and he went into the wilderness. Well, after he went in the wilderness, he ended up getting married and he started working for his father-in-law, a dude named Jethro. And uh, he basically became a shepherd. So he's out one day tending his flock and the Bible says that he, go, he comes upon this mountain, and the Bible calls it Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God. Now, here's just kind of a quick, if you were here last week, just a quick kind of interesting fact. This mountain, Mount Horeb, would later be called Mount Sinai. And so interestingly enough, last week we saw Moses interacting with God on the mountain, Mount Sinai. This is actually the same mountain, and God is gonna be interacting with him here. So here's what happens. The Bible says in verse two, there was an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire and it did, uh, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. So here's the famous part. Maybe you guys know this. He's, Moses is up on the mountain and he's tending his flock and all of a sudden he sees this bush on fire, right? And the bush, even though it's on fire, it's not being consumed. And so Moses is like, that's crazy. I gotta go check this thing out. So he goes over and he checks out this bush that's on fire and look what happens next. The Bible says in verse four, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. All right, so Moses is like, this bush is on fire. That's weird, I'm gonna go look at it. And he does. And as he goes up to the bush, the Bible tells us that the bush begins to talk to him this burning bush, God within it begins to speak to him. And he says his name twice. He says, Moses, Moses. And I don't know why this, this struck me as funny this week. And maybe it doesn't strike you as funny, but I love Moses' response. So this bush says, Moses, Moses. And Moses just says, here I am. <laughs> Which I, don't, I just don't know about you guys. I'm just saying, if I was on a mountain and the bush was on fire and it said, Tony, Tony, I don't think I would just be like, 
present, you know, I think I'd be like, why are you talking to me, Bush? You know, I don't know. But anyway, so the Bush, the Bush starts talking to him. Verse five, don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So God says, you're in the presence of, of God. You're in the presence of Elohim. So you need to take your, take your sandals off. And then he said, now I want you to notice this. I am the God, I am the Elohim. I am the, 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 the Elohim of your father. I am the Elohim of Abraham. I am the Elohim of Isaac and the Elohim of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at him. So, so I want you to notice what's happening here. God is beginning to reveal himself to Moses. He's beginning to tell Moses, this is who I am. And notice where he starts. He says, I am the Elohim. And Moses is like, okay, um, I'm, I am scared now because I know that I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with God. I know I'm dealing with this, this vague category of God. But notice, notice what God does here. He doesn't just say that he's the Elohim, but he begins to identify himself through relationships. And so he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He begins to identify himself. God begins to reveal himself and identify himself through a story. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. He reveals himself through these relationships. It's really interesting. And then look what happens. So he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then verse seven, then the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm, I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. So, so I want you to notice here that God is beginning to reveal himself even further. So he says, I am the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He identifies himself through relationships. But then he also shows us a few other things about himself. He says that this is the God apparently who sees. This is the God who hears. This is the God who's concerned with human suffering. And this is the God who's gonna do something about it. And so apparently we're starting to get a window into who this, this God is and he's revealing himself. So, so he hears this and God goes on and he says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so then he tells, he tells Moses, now you go, Moses, you go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So basically, God says, says to Moses, I've seen, I've heard the suffering of my people. And he says, and I'm going to do something about it. And what I'm going to do, Moses, is I'm going to send you. And I want you to be the one who tells Pharaoh to let my people go. And look at Moses' response. So Moses hears this, and Moses said to God, who am I that I'm gonna go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So this is a fair question, right? Moses just kind of met for the first time, this God. And he's like, um, who am I? You want me? Like, I'm, I'm a shepherd working for my father-in-law out in the desert. Who am I to go to Pharaoh, who's the most powerful man in the known world, who is the leader of the Egyptians, which is the most powerful kingdom in the whole world, and I'm just supposed to go up to them and tell him to let the Israelites go, an entire nation of people who are free slave labor. So Moses is like, who am I? I am, not, I am not fit for a job description like that. I love God's response. Look what God says in verse 12. God said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Now, I, I love this, by the way. Just a quick side note, I love this. Moses says, gosh, who am I? I? I can't do this thing that you're asking me to do. And I love God's response. God says, well, uh, with all due respect, Moses, it really doesn't matter who you are. 
What matters is who I am. Because I'm going to be with you. Because I'm going to be with you. And so if I'm with you, then it's going to work out. And he actually says this. He says, and it's going to be a sign to you that it's I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, we're going to worship God on this mountain, which is interesting because that's exactly what happens. Uh, if you were here last week, you see that take place. So this is, this is where I really want to zero in. I want you to notice what happens in verse 13. So Moses said to God, well, let's say I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, now this is so important, what is his name? Now, what am I supposed to tell them? What am I supposed to tell them? So this is a very good question. So Moses is like, okay, I know you're Elohim and I know that you're connected to my ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I understand that you see the plight of your people. And I, I understand that you want me to do something about that with you and you're gonna be with me. But if you're gonna be with me and I'm supposed to go tell these people, he asks a great question. Then who are you? Like, who are you? What is your name? Now, this question right here, I love this question, and this was, I just thought this was so cool. Commentators point out that when he asks this question, what is your name? In fact, one particular commentator by the name of Walter Kaiser, he points out that when he asks this question, that what he's doing is he's doing way more than just asking for what God's title is. He's asking for much more than that. So a lot of times when you and I, when I say, what's your name? I'm basically saying, what do you go by? What do you go by? But back in, 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 in this time, in the Hebrew language, a name was so much more than just what you went by. A name was so much more than just how you identified your drink at Starbucks or your pickup bag at Chipotle or whatever it is. Your name actually carried within it, it carried within it your destiny and it carried within it kind of your identity. And so, for example, um, some of you might remember this. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Abraham. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but his name was Abram. And Abram, Abram just meant father. Then God meets him and God says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And when he says that, he says, I'm gonna change your name and you're no longer gonna be called father. You're gonna be called father of many, which is Abraham. And so you see that name, what that name carried within it is it was his destiny. It was really about really kind of who he was. And so back in this time, when you ask someone, what's your name? It was kind of like saying, what do you like? What are you known for? Here's, a, here's kind of a silly example um, to think about the way that, he, that the, the Hebrew mind would have thought of a name. You guys remember the seven dwarfs, Snow White and the seven dwarfs? So you guys remember those guys? You had Bashful and Happy, Dopey, Sleepy, Doc, Grumpy, and Sneezy. Like, those are their names. Those are their names. But they're way more than their names. Right? That's like what they were known for. So like Sneezy. What was Sneezy known for? Sneezing. Right? His, if he would have had a mask on, it probably would have had all kinds of mucus on it. Uh, if, if you had Grump, what's Grumpy known for? He's known for, for being grumpy. I thought this was, I gotta tell you this, last night, so we have Saturday services here, I was going through the, the dwarves and I accidentally got sleepy and sneezy mixed up and I said sleazy. And, and so I said, what's sleazy known for? I was like, oh no, that's not what I meant. And so, so sleazy, he's the eighth dwarf and uh, we, don't, we don't talk about him in church. So, so you got that going on for you, but so you got these different dwarves, right? The different dwarves. And, and their names are kind of, so if you get that around your mind, when, when Moses comes to God and he says, what is your name? What am I supposed to say? What he's saying is, God, what are you like? What are you like? What are you known for? Not just your title, but like, who are you? Who are you? And God answers the question and he says this. And this is the, this is the first time, this is the first time that God is going to reveal himself as the Lord. And so he says, God, God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, I know for a lot of us when we read that, at least at first glance, it might seem a little bit confusing. Right? That seems weird. That God, like, what's your name? And he's like, I am who I am. Tell them that I am is coming to you, that this is the Lord. But I want you to notice something here, that these terms that are used are actually all related in the Hebrew language. So in the Hebrew language, when he says, I am who I am, when he says, I am, and when he says, the Lord, these actually all come from the same Hebrew verb. Right? So just stick with me here for just a moment. And so they all come from this verb right here, which is the word haya, haya, like karate, like cobra kai. Okay, so haya, which means to be. And so when you say I am, when you use it that way, it actually is this word. It's ayah, which means I will be. And then God says, I want you to tell them I am is sending you. And then he says, tell them it's the Lord. And that is the word Yahweh, Yahweh, which means he will be. And this is where we get the word the Lord from, this name, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And what's interesting is you will always be able to identify when this word is being used because it's always in all caps. It's always this word. So whenever you go through the Bible and you see capital L-O-R-D, you know, you know that that is this word. It's the word Yahweh. It's this, it's this, this name that's being used. It's in, and so in the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew language, it's, it's Y-H-W-H. They don't use vowels in the Hebrew language. And so that's what it is. It's the word, it's this word Lord. Now, when you see that, some of you might be thinking, okay, okay, so God reveals himself as the Lord. Is that different than in the Bible when you see it spelled this way? So sometimes you see it, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And the answer to that is uh, yes. There actually, there actually is a big difference between these two terms. And so, so when you see this term, that's actually another word. It's this word adon. And that is a word that is literally a title. It's a title. And so this is a word that's used not just to talk about God, but sometimes it's used to talk about a king. Sometimes it's used to talk about a master. So you guys, you guys hear people say that sometimes, like, yes, my lord, like that whole thing. That's that, it's the word. It's a title that's being used. It's used of earthly leaders. It's used of earthly authorities, but it's also used of God. And so there's places in the Bible, like in Psalm 97.5, where it's gonna say, God is the Lord of all creation. And this is a title. This is a title. This is like calling someone doctor or calling someone master or calling someone, it'd be, like, it'd be like calling someone, you know, a, a mister or something like that. It's a title that is used. And I actually think that, that this term is very different than this term, and this term means something different. So what is, what is the difference between these two? Well, like I said, Lord is a title. Elohim is a category. Now, here's what I want you to get. I say all that to tell you this. Lord, Yahweh, is actually a name. It's, it's actually a name. This is, this is God's personal, revealed, some of you might understand this term, it is his covenantal name. That's what it is. In fact, can I tell you that I actually think it's kind of unfortunate that we translate Yahweh Lord. And the reason is because it makes us confuse these two terms. Sometimes I think calling Yahweh Lord is like, it almost feels like me calling Jessica, who's my wife. It's like me calling her the wife, 
right? Is it, is it true? It's like, yeah, she's my wife, but it takes something that was intended to be personal and it makes it impersonal. It'd be like me telling my kids that they need to call me Pastor Tony, which I do sometimes, by the way. I'm like, call me Pastor Tony. And, uh, but what am I doing? I'm taking something that was intended to be personal and I'm making it impersonal. And I think we can do that with, this, with, this, with the name because this is a name. This is a, a personal name that, that God is giving to us of who he is and what, and what he is like. So the question then is, all right, well, what does that name mean then? What does that name mean? Well, of course, as you can imagine, there's all kinds of conversation and dialogue about what exactly this name, the name Yahweh means. But I thought this was helpful. One uh, commentator pointed this out. He said that the Lord Yahweh can be translated this way, whatever I am, I will be. Whatever I am, I will be. And I think that points out two things. So first off, I think it points out this, that, that God, that God, that his existence doesn't depend on anything, that he is self-existent, that he is self-sustaining, that he always has been and he always will be. But the other thing I think that this reveals to us, and I think this is really important, is I think it reveals to us that God is consistent. God never changes. He never changes. He's always the same. 24-7, what God is, he will always be. What he has been, he will be. And what he will be, he will be forevermore, that he never shifts, he never changes. I think that's a big piece of what that's revealing to us. I think that that's actually further clarified when God goes on to say this. God says in verse 15 of Exodus 3, this is my name forever, the name that you're gonna call me from generation to generation. So God says, this is my, this is my name. Now, some of you are hearing all this and you're thinking, okay, that's great. It's a lot of really great information. What in the world am I supposed to do with that? And so, so here, as we kind of look to, to wrap up, I, want, I just wanna end by giving you three implications of what I think that that means. Okay, so implication number one is this. Why does this matter? Well, first off, I think it matters because, well, God has a name. And God has a name. I, I don't know if, if this has ever occurred to you, but the Bible's gonna tell us that the creator, that the God of the universe, that the one who put galaxies in motion and the one who's put breath in our lungs and life in our veins, he has a name. In other words, he's, he's knowable. You can know him. You can interact with him as a person. You can interact with him in those ways. And you know, I think that's really important because here's how God is introducing himself. This is his press release to the world and this is how he's introducing himself. And he starts by saying, not Yahweh or not Elohim, not Elohim, not uh, Adon, Adon, not Lord. He starts by saying Yahweh, Yahweh. He gives his personal name. I think that's so important because I think all of us know this. The way that you introduce yourself to someone or the way they're introduced to you will oftentimes determine and it will establish the way in which you're supposed to interact with that person, right? So just imagine with me for a minute, someone comes to your door, they knock on your door this afternoon, you're watching the Browns game. Someone knocks on the door and you go and answer the door, slightly annoyed because you're trying to watch the game. And the person says to you, hello, I'm Officer Wilson. Right, well, that's gonna do something in your heart, right? It's gonna produce, it's going to establish for you who this person is and how you're supposed to interact with them. Or let's say that someone rings your doorbell and you go to the door and they say, hi, I'm the president of the Homeowners Association. You're probably gonna be like, oh no. Right, what did I do this time? But what's that doing? It's establishing something. It's establishing that relationship and how you're supposed to interact with it. See, I think this is so important because when God introduces himself, he starts by saying, the Lord, the Lord. And sometimes we can misread this. Sometimes we can read it to say, the boss, the boss, 
If that's how God's, I'm the boss. Or he introduces himself this way, the force, the force. This, you know, the strong, whatever. The judge, the judge. But that's not how he begins. He starts off by saying, the Lord, the Lord. This is a declaration that he is personal, that he is not something to be appeased, but he's someone to be loved. That God is not a force, he's not a concept, he's not a church, he's not a religious system, he's not a chapter in a theology book. He's not those things, he's a person. He's a person that we can know and he's a person that we can, that we can come to in those different things. And so I think this reveals to us something about God. First off, that God has a name. Here's a second implication. I think this also tells us that God is the same. God is the same. He doesn't change. When he identifies himself as the Lord, the Lord, What he's saying is, this is a declaration of his consistency. What I am, I will always be. And he never changes. And what that means is, it means that everything else that he's gonna say about himself, that he's compassion and gracious and slow to anger and forgiving of wickedness and that yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished, these things that he says about himself, what he's saying is, those things are true about me, they have always been true about me, and they will always be true about me, and they will never change. And so I think this is God lovingly revealing himself and saying, listen, this this is who I am and I'm always going to be this way. I think this is so important because what it tells us is that God, God is not gonna just like change the rules on you, that he's consistent and he's the same. You know, some of us have this idea that God is like this temperamental, you know, kind of spiritual force, and some days he's in a good mood, and if he's in a good mood, he's going to make traffic, you know, light for you that day, but if he's in a bad mood, you know, he's going to make your minivan not start and make the Browns lose, and so you better be in a good mood or whatever, and I'm just like, look, God's not like that. He's just not like that. He's the same. He's consistent, and these attributes about of him are unchanging. I think that's what this is going to tell us. Now, I could just tell you that is not like me. I'm not like that. I change, I shift, I wake up in the morning, sometimes I'm in a good mood, sometimes I'm in a bad mood. Right? I would say there's, there's, and this is true of you too, there's certain um, characteristics about me that are true most of the time, but not all of the time. So for example, I would say most of, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I would say most of the time, most of the time, I'm a pretty friendly person most of the time. I mean, I could be quiet sometimes, but I'm mostly friendly, but not all the time. You get me behind the wheel of a car, that's not true. And that changes, right? It changes, but that's not God. See, that's not God. God is, the Bible's gonna say he's the same. He's unchanging. And you know, just maybe just as a quick side note, and I'm gonna try my best to articulate this, but I think this is a really, a really uh, important thought. I was thinking about this this week. If it's true that God never changes, if that's true, that he is eternal and he's unshifting and that what he is, he always is. I think what that means is that there is nothing more important for us than knowing and establishing and being connected to him. I don't think there's anything more important than that because he doesn't change. I was talking to a friend last week. We were, in the, we were out in the cafe and we were talking about all the crazy stuff that's happened in the news and a lot of you guys have been following that and um, heartbreaking in a lot of ways, divisive in a lot of ways, so many opinions and emotions and, and everything else. It's just crazy. It's so turbulent right now. And we were talking about that and he, he had mentioned to me, he said, you know, it's the new year. And uh, he said one of his New Year's resolutions this year was that he wanted to pick back up on a Bible reading plan. So he's like, I want to read the Bible every morning. Some of you guys have done that before. There's these Bible reading plans, and you read the Bible every day. And he said, you know, I used to do that, and I kind of I slipped off, and I kind of stopped doing that, and I want to get back and do that again. 
And as we were talking, I thought about it. I said, you know, I think that's honestly maybe one of the best things you can do right now, one of the best things. I said, because I found something, and here's what I've discovered. I have found that sometimes as people, this is what we'll do. We will dwell mentally, we will dwell in the news and in the media and in the social media and everything that's going on, and we'll dabble in the Bible. We'll dabble. I barely, but we'll dwell. So the first thing I do when I wake up is I check the news feed. The first thing I do is I flip, flip on CNN or Fox News or whatever your network is. I, check, you know, I, I go onto Facebook, and then the first thing I do in the afternoon, it's, it's on the TV, and I, I dwell, my mind is dwelling here. I'm, I'm fixating on this. And I dabble. I'll dabble over here. I'll dabble in, in the Bible. I'll dabble in these things. I said, you know, it's interesting to me is I said, <clears throat> no wonder that I think if we dwell over here, no wonder we become emotionally all over the place. No wonder we become anxious people because this, this always changes. It's called the news. Why? Because it's different every day. And even though there's nothing new under the sun, it's an ever-changing landscape. And so if we're constantly dwelling in something that's shifting and changing, of course we're going to be emotionally unstable. Of course we're going to be anxious people. Instead, I said, I think we need to flip it. I think we need to dwell. We need to dwell in these things that are eternal because what is the Scripture doing? The Scripture is simply telling us more about who this unchanging God is. And I, I don't think that means we should put our head in the sand. I don't think that at all. I think we should dabble in the news. I think we should dabble over here, understand what's going on. I think we gotta dwell here. The Bible says that a person who's firmly rooted in the Bible is like a tree planted by streams of water. It gives you a confidence. It gives you a, it gives you a collective coolness in the midst of ever-changing craziness that we see in the world. I think it's one of the best things we can do. One of the best things we can do. So what this tells us is, God has a name. God is the same. And then lastly, God's name, uh, God's name belongs to Jesus. His name belongs to Jesus. Now, we'll get more into this in the weeks to come, but I just got to give you a foreshadowing where this, this whole thing is going. And the Bible's going to tell us that this name is fully and finally established and belongs to Jesus Christ. I think it's so cool. When you, when you look at history, you'll see that, uh, that to the Jewish people, the name Yahweh was so sacred that they actually came to a place that they wouldn't even write it and they wouldn't even speak it. And so they would just simply call it the name. They would just say the name, the name. And, and they had such reverence and respect for the name of God. They were so afraid that they were gonna blaspheme the name, but they would just say the name. And what's so cool is that New Testament authors pick up on that. And in the New Testament, what you see is you see that the Bible's gonna say some amazing things about Jesus. It's gonna say this. It's gonna say, I have manifest, Jesus says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And then in Philippians chapter two, it says something amazing. It says, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and he gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven on earth and every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And what's so cool is when it says the Lord here, it's actually a reference and it's a quotation to Isaiah chapter 45. And if you read Isaiah chapter 45, when it talks about the Lord, it uses the name Yahweh. This is the name that's above every name and it's the name that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so the implications are God has a name. He has a name and he is the same. He doesn't change. And that is fully and finally revealed. How we know God is through the person of Jesus Christ.
And ask the band to make their way up. And as they uh, settle in, and as we close out our time, I want to end with just one final question. And this question is for everyone in the room, no matter where you are in your faith journey. This is just something I want you to think through and consider. I want to ask you this. How do you, how do you know God? How do you know him? How do you perceive him? And for some of you, maybe you've come to a place where you know, you're on your faith journey and you've come to a place where you would say this. You would say, I know God. I believe that there is an Elohim. I believe that there is a creator. I, be- I believe that there's a higher power. I believe that there is an intelligent mind and force that has created the universe and has created everything. Maybe for you, that's as far as it goes. And you would say, I, I, I don't know anything else about him. I don't know, I don't know if, it is, if it even is a him, but I do believe that there's a God. And I would just tell you that if that's the case, I think that the Bible would look and it would say that that's absolutely right. There is a creator, there is a God, there is an intelligence that's behind all that's created. But I think the Bible would also say that there's more. And it's inviting you to come in closer, to come in closer. For some of you, maybe the way you know God is you know him as Lord. You know him as a dawn. You know a title. You know Mr. God. Maybe, you're, maybe your relationship with God has been and is really defined by a formal relationship. It's formal. It, you, it's very formal. You, you go to church. Yep, yep, we got church. And I have, I have my, my God stuff that I do, but it's a, it's a formal interaction with God. And to you, God is the master. God is, God is, the, he is, he is the king. He is those things. And let me just say, by the way, that if, if, that's, if that's how you interact with him, that's right. That's actually right. He is the king. That's right, he is the master. He is the all-powerful authority. That's true, that's true. But can I just say that if it doesn't go any further than that, I believe that what the story of scripture is revealing to us is that he wants to take it a step further. He wants to go even further with you. And I think what he wants to bring us into is he wants us to know him and he wants us to know him by name. He wants us to know him. Like, Like in the way you know a family member or a friend like someone that you know personally, someone you can talk to, someone who impacts every aspect and every avenue of your life. I think he wants that. And I think what he, when he reveals himself as the Lord, what he's saying is he's saying something about how he wants us to interact, what he's inviting us into with him. And so let me just say that if you're a person who's on a faith journey and you're trying to figure out how to know this God, I think what the Bible would tell us is that you can know him through his name. And his name is Yahweh, and that name belongs to Jesus. And the Bible's gonna say that when you interact with Jesus, that's how you interact with a relationship with the living God. That's how you know the creator of the universe. And so if you've never embraced Jesus, if you've never turned to him, if you've never talked to him, could I even encourage you, maybe even today, to do that? Talk to him. Cry out to him. Tell him you wanna know him. Tell him that you don't just wanna know God as the creator, that you don't just wanna know God as this authority, but that you wanna know him. I believe it's a prayer he wants to answer. I believe God has done everything to come to us because he wants to reveal himself in that way. Let me just say this last thing. For those of us who are Christians, so many of us are Christ followers in this room, did you know that we are also called, as followers of Jesus, we are called to bear this name. We're called to, we're called to carry the name of Jesus, to represent the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to. And I think we have to ask the question, what name are we presenting to the world around us? Are we communicating to the world that there is a creator God who has all authority, who wants a relationship with you? 
Are we helping the world to see that? Are we helping the world to see that? I believe that is what we are called to, is to carry this name, the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just wanna say thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed to us who you are and what you're like. Because honestly, I don't think we could figure it out if you didn't tell us. I don't think I, don't think I could go sit under a tree long enough to figure out that you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, you're, that you are a personal God who wants to be in a relationship, who has come in the person of Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins and rose from the dead. I don't think we're gonna come to that on our own. And so God, I'm thankful that you have chosen, rather than, rather than us having to work our way to you, you have chosen to come to us, to show yourself to us, to reveal yourself to us. And so God, can I even just ask you that right now that you would shine that light in the hearts of some people right now? Would you reveal yourself to them to be true? Would you reveal yourself to be not just the sovereign God of the universe, which you are, and not just the Lord and authority over all things, which you are, but would you reveal yourself as Jesus? Would you reveal yourself as the personal God who wants to enter into a real relationship, a living, thriving relationship with each one of us? As we worship and sing, I pray that you would just help us to process with you, God, to not interact with a concept, to not interact with some kind of religious system or whatever, not with our understanding of who you are, but help us to come to you as you are. And, uh, and God, we just wanna ask this and pray it in Jesus' name, amen.